I hope you have your Bibles with you, and I'd love for you to turn to the book of Isaiah. And while you're doing that, um, Brooke, where are you? There she is. Thank you so much for that, Brooke. That was just, that was an encouragement. I really enjoyed that. I love the connection of those, each, those little gifts and the way that you drew our attention to the names of Jesus. And you reference the passage in Isaiah that I want to read to you. So when you find Isaiah, I want you to find Isaiah chapter 9. We're just going to read verse 6 together. Isaiah 9, verse 6. This one may be familiar to you. For a child will be born for us. I'm going to read from the Christian Standard Bible in case it's a little bit different from yours. For a child will be born for us, a son will be given to us, and the government will be on his shoulders. He will be named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. I love that verse. Just those couple of sentences that are just strung together, but that say so much, don't they? It's astounding that these little sentences, this single little verse is nestled into and embedded in a prophecy that was spoken some 700 years plus before the events that we celebrate at Christmas, before Bethlehem, before the manger, before Mary and Joseph went to Bethlehem. 700 years before the birth of Jesus, God said through his prophet Isaiah, a child will be born for us. A son will be given to us. I love it for the depiction of Jesus as given in the names that are offered in that prophecy even. Wonderful counsellor. I think counsellors are fantastic. One in particular that I know. (laughs) She is great. And I've spoken and spent time with other counsellors. I've gone to see them professionally. I've referred other people to counsellors and the role of a counsellor is so significant, so important for us as we've walked through hard times in our lives or we just need someone to be able to process our thoughts with maybe, but we have Jesus, a wonderful counsellor. But more than just one who deals out maybe good advice or maybe one who is a good listener, this is a Jesus who is mighty God. Mighty God. And as Brooke reminded us, eternal Father. Remember when Jesus said that to his disciples? If you've seen me, he said, you've seen the Father. How do we know what God's like? We look to Jesus, right? And the Prince of Peace. Beautiful names, 
such a beautiful verse that gives such joy and hope that we love to turn to at times of the year, especially around Christmas. And all of that, Isaiah tells us, will come through a child. A child given for us, a son given to us. And so no wonder we love this verse. I do. And especially at Christmas time, because I think it draws our attention, doesn't it? And it helps us see, I think, past all the glitz and all the glamour and all the paper that ends up shredded all over the floor. What was your house like this morning? Different personality types in every family. There's, there's the personality type that just wants to just... It's just chaos. And then there's the personality type that's walking around with the plastic bag trying to, you know... <laughs> I'll leave you to figure out who does that in our family. But this verse helps us to see past all the glitz and the glamour and the chaos even of Christmas. And it helps us to centre our affections and our attention on Jesus. But before I spend much more time on that verse, what I want to do is actually zoom out from it a little bit. I want to zoom back from it a little bit and I want to help set from the Scriptures the biggest scene of what was happening when Isaiah, 700 years before Jesus was born, when Isaiah spoke those words, what was it that God was telling his people? And to do that, I want you to simply redirect your attention to the opening verse of that same chapter. So you're in Isaiah chapter 9, go back to read from verse 1. Have a look at it in your Bible. Verse 1 says this, Nevertheless, the gloom of the distressed land will not be like that of former times when he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the future, he will bring honour to the way of the sea, to the land east of the Jordan and to Galilee of the nations. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. A light has dawned on those living in the land of darkness. Isn't it true that as we reflect on the story of Christmas, that before we can get to the light, we need to see that the prevailing theme of the bigger passage in Isaiah is darkness, and it is so for Christmas as well. Even the very first word of verse 1, at least in the Christian Standard Bible, nevertheless, should give us a hint that, that if we were to go back even further in Isaiah's prophecy, it gets darker still. The light of the manger is so profound precisely because of how dark the world was when the manger appeared. When Jesus arrives, he arrives into darkness. Isaiah 9 and 2, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. A light has dawned on those living in the land of darkness. So I think it's important for us just for a moment to get a grip on the darkness I truly want you to appreciate 
not how dark it is, but how light the glory of Jesus is. But to do that, we do need to step back into the darkness for a moment. We need to, as it were, let our eyes grow accustomed to the dim light of despair before we can begin to even feel the hope that this prophecy must have brought to the nation of Israel and that would ultimately find its fulfilment in Bethlehem and then on a hill outside Jerusalem. So I want you to turn your eyes even further back in Isaiah and read with me from chapter 8. As you find it, let me warn you, this is not a very Christmassy passage. (laughs) There are no obvious warm and fuzzies in what we're about to read. In fact, this may just cut a little too close to the bone for some of us. But let's see, I think, what God was saying to his people then, and maybe, maybe we will hear the echo of it down through the generations that still exist for us even today. And I'm preparing, I'm preparing, I'm hoping, I'm I'm wanting and praying that your heart will celebrate Jesus like he truly deserves. So Isaiah chapter 8, we're going to read from verse 11. You find it in your Bible? Isaiah 8, verse 11. This is God's word to his people through the prophet Isaiah. For this is what the Lord said to me with great power to keep me from going the way of this people. This is Isaiah's little introduction. Now, this is what God said. Do not call everything a conspiracy that people say is a conspiracy. Do not fear what they fear. Do not be terrified. You are to regard only the Lord of armies as holy. Only he should be feared. Only he should be held in awe. He will be a sanctuary. But for the two houses of Israel, he will be a stone to stumble over and a rock to trip over and a trap and a snare for the inhabitants of Jerusalem. Many will stumble over these. They will fall and be broken. They will be snared and captured. Bind up the testimony. Seal up the instructions among my disciples. I will wait for the Lord, who is hiding his face from the house of Jacob. I will wait for him. Here I am with the children of the Lord, has given me to be signs and wonders in Israel from the Lord of armies who dwells on Mount Zion. When they say to you, inquire of the mediums and the spiritists who chirp and mutter, shouldn't a people inquire of their God? Should they inquire of the dead on behalf of the living? Go to God's instruction and testimony. If they do not speak according to this word, there will be no dawn for them. They will wander through the land, dejected and hungry. When they are famished, they will become enraged and looking upward will curse their king and their God. They will look towards the earth and see only distress 
darkness and the gloom of affliction, and they will be driven into thick darkness. Now, if we were to go even further back into chapter 8 and before that, we would see more of the same. The reality that God is describing amongst His people is a culture which is consuming itself with fear and darkness and distress. Israel was on her knees, but rather than looking to God as her deliverer, she was turning on herself and devouring her own. I think the two most significant targets that this fear is directed at in these passages were conspiracies and calamity. And so much of their thinking and their emotional energy seem to be pointed in these directions, being spent on things that would consume them and driving them further into false realities rather than embracing the one who loved them and still had a purpose and plan for them. And that's why I say that I think that there are echoes that reach us from the 8th century BC because we're so often the same, aren't we? I think if the last two years have taught us anything... It's that we are still dominated by fear. We fear calamity. And so we cling to whatever hope is thrown our way. We'll do whatever it takes to make the uncomfortable stuff go away and get things back to normal. Many of us have been of the whatever it takes crowd. doing our part. But deep down, aren't we all afraid that one variant's just going to become another? And that the cycle of health mandates and government intervention will never end? Or maybe it isn't calamity that we've feared, or at least not the calamity that most of the population is worried about. And so what's our other option? Well, what we've seen is that while some people have become obsessed with calamity, others have become obsessed with conspiracy. We've seen a growing percentage in the population who have genuine concerns often with how things seem to be unfolding. That there's a a secret narrative to this world or a hidden agenda that if recognised and resisted will deliver us from bondage. And here's my point. It is so easy for one crowd to mock the other. Unlike any time that I can remember in my lifetime, our communities have become so divided, so polarised, so suspicious of each other. Friendships have ended this year. Families have divided this year. Churches have split this year. And despite which side of the fence you sit on or that you even think that I'm supporting by saying what I'm saying, 
We have all been consumed by the foolishness of the world that lives in darkness. So rightfully, this Christmas, we should be calling out, Lord, have mercy on us. How should we respond then? Well, not like Israel. Israel chased after answers, but they did it on their own terms. Isaiah chapter 8 and verse 19 is interesting. There's a rhetorical question that's asked in there, if you can find it in your text. It says, when they say to you, inquire of the mediums and of the spiritus who chirp and mutter. Shouldn't the people inquire of their God? Should they inquire of the dead on behalf of the living, God says? Israel wanted answers to the darkness that they felt. Fear and distress reigned. And so where did Israel turn? Well, they turned to whoever they felt could give them the, the, the answers that they longed for. But they wanted the results on their own terms. Isaiah chapter 8, verses 14 and 15, says that he will be a sanctuary, but for the two houses of Israel, he will be a stone to stumble over and a rock to trip over, a trap and a snare to the inhabitants of Jerusalem. Many, it says, will stumble over these. They will fall and be broken. They will be snared and captured. See, Israel was so busy searching for answers that they tripped over the truth. Aren't we similar? We want to work all this stuff out for ourselves. We've either thrown all our eggs in with the medical and political answers, or we've bought in and bunkered down with the social resistance, but either way, we're chasing answers and looking for results on our own terms. But this is precisely where the hope of Christmas meets us in our desperation. Isaiah 9 and 2, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. A light has dawned on those living in the land of darkness. And so this is a call, and Christmas is a call, to wait on the Lord. Instead of chasing answers and looking for results on our own terms, the message of Christmas reminds us, even invites us into a better way. Isaiah 8 and 17, I will wait for the Lord, who is hiding his face from the house of Jacob. I will wait for him. God invites us to stop striving, stop chasing, stop trying to figure all this out on our own terms and simply wait on Him. To wait on God means to find our satisfaction in Him and Him alone. It means that we can say, even in the midst of the darkness, that God is enough. This is a call to find your hope in Him rather than the other places we've pursued. The dawn that you're looking for is only going to be found in Jesus.
Isaiah 8 and 19. We just read this a moment ago. When they say to you, inquire of the mediums and of the spiritists who chirp and mutter, shouldn't a people inquire of their God? Because salvation is on God's terms, not ours. You can't conscript Jesus to your cause. You can try to, yep. But the truth that you seek will crush you. It will be a snare to break your ankle in. It will otherwise lead you like a blind guide. You only accept Jesus on his terms, not ours. Anything else is like a golden calf that we have shaped into our own image. Who would have thought that God's answer to the darkness would have been a little baby born in Bethlehem? And yet here he is, right? We remembered him. So I want to read to you again the verses that we started with, but just set into their context in chapter 9. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. A light has dawned on those who live in the, da- in the land of darkness. You have enlarged the nation and increased its joy. The people have rejoiced before you as they rejoice at harvest time and as they rejoice when dividing spoils, for you have shattered the oppressive yoke and the rod on their shoulders, the staff of their oppressor, just as you did on the day of Midian. For every trampling boot of battle and the bloodied garment of war will be burned as fuel for the fire, for a child will be born for us. Jesus, a son will be given to us. And that is why the father called out, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. The governments will rest on his shoulders. And he will be named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. The dominion will be vast and its prosperity will never end. He will reign on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and sustain it with justice and righteousness from now on and forever. Can this happen? It has. And it is the zeal of the Lord of armies who will accomplish this. This is the Jesus that we celebrate this Christmas. This is the the Jesus that has entered into your darkness, your hopelessness, maybe your sorrows, your fears, your questions. And it's a simple invitation to hear you this morning. Stop looking for answers on your own terms. We wait on Him, the Messiah the wonderful counsellor, the mighty God, the eternal Father, and the Prince of Peace. And so we look to him this morning. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your son. Thank you that you gave him for us, you gave him to us. We thank you that he draws near. He draws near to the darkness and he brings light. 
We thank you that as we look to him, whatever this year past or this last two years past or the last decade even of our life has looked like, Lord, so much sorrow and so many fears and so many losses even and yet we wait on you. We accept you for who you are. We look to you. We thank you for Jesus. As we celebrate him this Christmas, would we look to the dawn of what you are accomplishing. In his name we pray. Amen.